We're going to step away this morning from our study in Matthew, and I'm going to share with you about evangelism. And I believe that it's important for us to periodically come back to this reminder that we need to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and be witnesses in our, in our life and in our word. And so I titled this morning's message, Building an Evangelistic Lifestyle. And I want to expound a little bit on what I mean by that. For myself, it was 36 years ago that I had an opportunity in my own personal walk with Christ to lead another person to the Lord. It was at work. Uh, I had taken everything that I had learned growing up in a Christian home, and I had parents, actually, that lived by example. They were very um, evangelistic themselves. They looked for opportunities to open their mouth for Christ, and I had that example in my life. I also had a grandfather that was very evangelistic and looked for opportunities. And I grew up with under, this understanding in my mind that that's really what Christians should do, that we should go out and, and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We sang in this worship song about the blood and the cross. And if you really think about your own walk with Christ, you know, it's really, those are the motivators, aren't they? It's what Christ has done in us. It's this great salvation that we all have. The Lord has saved us from our sin. We think about the power that was demonstrated on the cross when Jesus Christ shed his blood and he, he gave it all up so that we could live. Those should be the things that should stir our hearts with a passion to tell people that don't have hope. And so this morning, building this evangelistic lifestyle I think it's a, it's a mindset that we can all take on. We can start beginning to take on this mindset that God has a purpose each and every day for each and every one of us. Those that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give an opportunity at the end of this message today for you to receive Christ. And you might want to just contemplate your relationship with Christ this morning. We, last Sunday, we were in Matthew chapter 10. This was the chapter where Jesus now was going to call his disciples, but he's also going to send them out as apostles. Send them out into the cities and the towns and begin to preach that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was the words that Jesus gave to them, and he said he would give them the power. He would give them the words to speak as they went. He told them, I don't want you to fear man. And as you go, just preach and share the gospel, share the good news, prepare the way for the kings here. This building an evangelistic lifestyle... If you were to look up the word lifestyle in the Webster's Dictionary, this is how it defines a lifestyle. It's something that's consistent. It's the consistent, integrated way of life of an individual. In other words, it's just the way of life. It's who I am. It's what I do. It's what I live for. 
It's what I'm about. That I want to be a witness. There's lots of things that go on in our daily lives. We work, we go to school, we take care of our families, all sorts of things that we do. But that doesn't mean that we need to take what we're really about and set it aside. I'm really about living for Jesus Christ, glorifying him in my life and in my family and in my job. I want to be a light and I want to be salt to this world that needs Jesus Christ. And there's not one person that's here this morning, young and old, that God doesn't want to use. I shared that last week. God wants to use your life. And so having an evangelistic lifestyle, it's, it, it, it's the way we live. Day, it's our mindset. I shared last week that one of the reasons why Christians often don't share their faith Uh, that keeps them from it is fear. It's fear of man. It's fear of not knowing what to say if you were to put yourself into a position of sharing the good news of Christ, you might find yourself coming up short and so we're reluctant at times. Uh, So often we think in our mind, well, we'll leave that up to the evangelists in the church. We'll leave that up to the, the Christians that really know their Bibles very well. But I can tell you that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what he's done for you and how you got saved, you know enough. You know enough to be able to tell somebody. There's seven common forms of evangelism that we see the church practicing and doing in our day. One of them is been referred to as lifestyle evangelism. Have you ever heard that term? Lifestyle evangelism is when we just try to live right. We, li- we try to live the Christian witness around people at work and people, were our neighbors, people we're around, our family. And, and we're hoping that they're going to see something different about me so that it might cause them to want to see God. They see something different in me, and that's a good thing. Often it's not just with our words that we become a witness. It's with our life. It's how we live. There's also a term called servant evangelism, where the church takes opportunities to serve people in different fashions. It might be going out and helping the the hungry or, you know, feeding or or just, just doing different kinds of ways of serving people and helping people. And that they'll see something of Christ in me as I serve them. That's a, it's a good aspect. It's what Christians should do. There's also event evangelism, where a lot of times churches might put on concerts or do different kinds of evangelism to draw people in that they might hear the gospel preached when they come to that event. There's also crusades that are put on. Billy Graham and Greg Laurie, different kinds of crusade evangelism where people are invited to come along. We also have door-to-door evangelism where there are not a lot of Christians that do this. But to actually go door-to-door and to actually distinguish yourself from a Christian and a Jehovah's Witness because they're actually doing that quite a bit. 
as Christians, we somehow think, you know, I don't want to be like a Jehovah's Witness, and so we, we shy away from doing those, that approach or that type. But for some, it's a way of evangelism that they feel very comfortable with, going and knocking on somebody's door and looking for an opportunity to tell them something about Jesus Christ. There's street evangelism. We've all seen the street preachers and people out just preaching the gospel and sharing it. There's a place for it. I saw it quite a bit when we lived in Europe. Not so much do we see that here. There's track evangelism. How many of you have done that? You have tracks, you hand them out to people. You want to be a witness to people, you leave them play, you know. There's track evangelism. You know, and all of these forms of evangelism are good. There's nothing wrong with any of them. But with all of them, there's limitations. There's limitations on really how far. If, if my life was my only witness and I never opened my mouth, there's the limitation. Because people really need to hear the good news of Christ. They can't just look at my life and be saved. They might look at my life, it might draw them, but they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I really the last form of evangelism that I think is the most common and probably the most effective is one-on-one evangelism. It's the, it's the example that we see in Scripture of our Lord as he went out and had one-on-one encounters with people. And I believe for us as Christians, uh, that's really the best form of evangelism. Just going out and telling somebody about what Christ has done in you. I want to look at three portions of Scripture this morning. There are all three of them in the book of Acts. The first example that we're going to see is Peter and John on their way to the temple. We find that in Acts chapter 3. And I am going to title this particular section of Scripture, Witnessing Opportunities. Then we have Acts chapter 8. This is Philip, who is called by the Lord out to this desert road, and he leads a eunuch to Jesus. I'm going to call this chapter, Being Ready. And then in Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas being led by God's Spirit out to this riverside where there was this woman named Lydia. And God used Paul and Silas there to lead this woman to Christ. I'm going to call this particular chapter Divine Appointments. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, I want to read uh, you a story. Now, keep in mind that this is the beginning of the early church. This is what we call the birth of the church. Jesus Christ has already died on the cross. He's already walked this earth for 40 days. He's in Jerusalem there, and he's going to ascend up into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Fifty days have now passed. Fifty days from the resurrection, ten days from the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the 120 disciples were told to go wait in Jerusalem in that upper room until they're endued with power from on high. 
And we know that we read in the beginning of Acts that they were assembled there and the Holy Spirit came upon them in a way that they had never experienced before. And they began to speak with tongues and there was a magnification of the Lord. They were glorifying God in all these various tongues. And and the people that were gathered there, keeping in mind that the people that were in Jerusalem that day was a huge number. Every Jew would make their way to Passover. It was part of the law. It was part of what they did. Every year, they would make their way to Jerusalem for Passover. Fifty days later was the Feast of Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell upon those 120 in that upper room. And God was now going to pour out His Spirit upon the church in a way that it had never experienced before. We know that on that particular day, it transformed Peter. Peter, remember, was the one that denied the Lord that night that he was arrested. I don't even know the man. And then we read here when we get to Acts chapter 2 and 3, and we see Peter now, a transformed man. He's different. He's seen the risen Lord. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon these believers, and Peter being one of them. And Peter now sees a witnessing opportunity. Let's look at our Bibles in chapter 3, starting in in verse 1 here. This is a one-on-one encounter. We read, Now Peter and John, they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. The ninth hour was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Jews would go at 9, they'd go at noon, they'd go at 3 o'clock, and they'd make prayers in the temple. They came at 3 o'clock. And there was a certain uh, lame man from his mother's womb that was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And then we're told, and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, they asked for alms, or he asked for alms. And so here's this lame man that was brought day after day after day, laying there at this gate, unable to walk, just begging people for money. How often do we see situations in life? As you're out and about, and I'm not just talking about the people that are out there begging for money on the corners. I'm talking about just day in and day out encounters where all of a sudden the Lord puts it upon your heart. Here's an opportunity. Have you ever had that still small voice just speak to your heart? Here's the opportunity for you. And then you've not said something or you've not done something. And you go, you know, what? I knew the Lord wanted me to say something and I didn't do it. And then there's those times where you're obedient and you open your mouth or you take the opportunity and you get blessed. You realize, Lord, you just used me. I just stepped out in faith and trusted you and you used me. Here's Peter and John seeing this lame man laying at the gate. It wasn't the first time. They'd gone to temple day in and day out. They saw this man probably multiple times. But it was on this day 
that God saw the need of this lame man. I want you to keep in mind that when there's a person that has a hungry heart, when there's a person that's in need and really has a desiring to know something of God, you know what God's going to do? He's going to send you, he's going to send me, he's going to send someone to that person to be a witness. God wants to save people. He wants to meet their need. Here's this man, he's lame from his mother's womb. He's, he's born that way. And God wants to touch him physically. But God also sees something, even a greater need in this lame man. He wants him to be saved spiritually. He wants him to not just be healed physically, but to know him and to be saved. I believe that living a Christian life, letting it be our lifestyle as a Christian is that we look for open doors of opportunity. That's a lifestyle. I'm just, I just go about every day. It's like you getting up in the morning and saying a prayer before the Lord, God, would you use me today? Would you just somehow open a door of opportunity for me? God, that I might hear your voice when you, when you put me in that situation, that you would lead me. To me, that's, that's living a lifestyle. It's lifestyle evangelism. It's, it's my mindset. I think also that if we're living in light of eternity, we're not consumed with everything that's going on around us. I'm talking about all the earthly things. We're not so consumed with those things that our minds are not set on heavenly things. What is the most important thing to you? When you think and you consider the people you know that don't know Christ, especially those you love, people in your, you know, God, give me opportunity. Help me not to miss those opportunities that you put before me. As we looked at Matthew 10 last week, we saw that our Lord had this heart of compassion for people. A compassion that quite often we find ourselves coming short of. It's like, God, give me some of your compassion. Let me see the people that are around me that are hurting, that don't know Christ. Let me have your compassion that it might compel me to want to say something, to do something. I believe as Christians that really one of the big hindrances to us in sharing our faith is because we find ourselves quite often being consumed with our own problems, with our own issues, the things going on in life. We're consumed with those things, and it it really keeps us really from moving out of that into the realm of saying, God, help me to take my eyes off myself that I might put them on other people. Help me to have compassion when I see those people that are wandering around that don't know Christ. As Jesus saw his own people like sheep without a shepherd. That was the compassion of our Lord. We see that Peter and John, as they approached this lame man back in chapter 3, verse 4, were told that, This lame man fixed his eyes on him 
with John or Peter and John fix their eyes on him and they said, look at us. Look at us. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now put yourself in that place. This was an everyday thing, going to temple. But this was a different day. This was a day that the Holy Spirit was leading Peter to tell this man to rise up and walk. That took an element of faith. Put yourself in that place. This man was lame from birth. And he's telling him, stand to your feet and walk. A miracle of God was performed on that day. He stood up. And it says... In verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That's a miracle. God still does miracles today. And so this lame man began leaping up and he stood and he walked and he entered into the temple with them. And look what it says. He was walking, leaping, and praising God. Could you imagine the joy that was filling this lame man's, uh, just his whole presence, leaping and praising God for what had just happened, what would you have done? What a testimony. What a witness. He didn't even realize for that moment how God was using him, even in that miracle, to be a witness to others because there was others seeing him leaping and praising God. And then we read, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at at the beautiful gate of the temple. And look what it says of the people that observed this. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were just in awe. This is the man that we've seen for years being laid here at the gate. He couldn't walk. And now he's up leaping and praising God. What a testimony of how great our God is. And then we read, Now as the lame man who was uh, healed held on to Peter and John. He, he's just overwhelmed. It says that all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. I've stood on that porch. Right there at the foot of the, uh, the entrance going into the old city of Jerusalem. They've unearthed those steps. Solomon's porch. And they saw, when they saw Peter, he responded to the people. Uh, this is what I want you to see. Peter here now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit sees this man healed. This whole group of people are amazed at what has just taken place. And now Peter sees an opportunity. Here's the opportunity. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Do you see how quick Peter was to take their eyes off of him and put them on the Lord? It's not me that did this. God did this. 
Don't look to me. God is the one that just healed. You see how quickly he did that? We should be that way in our evangelism, pointing people to Christ. We never want people to look at us. We want them to look at him. Peter was quick to do that. He goes on now to look at the people there and to take an opportunity to be a witness. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You see, he's preaching the gospel to him now. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life, which God raised from the dead. Do you see that? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter was preaching to them the good news about Christ. There's power in those words. There's conviction that's in those words also. It says, you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did, not, did it in ignorance, as did also your fathers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of our Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. He goes on and just preaches the message to them. But let me ask you something. How many of you have ever preached an evangelistic sermon at a crusade? How many of you have ever stood on a corner and began to share the gospel with a multitude of people? Some of you here this morning think, that's not me. That's not how I would choose to go out and share my faith. That's just not me. And you know what? That's okay. Because God uses all forms of evangelism. As a matter of fact, I believe, as I just shared, that one-on-one evangelism is probably the most effective. How many of you came to Christ through a one-on-one encounter with somebody else? Somebody just simply told you about Jesus Christ, and you got saved. I think that the majority of Christians, and I believe if you look at statistics, the majority of Christians get saved through one-on-one evangelism. Not through crusade evangelism, not through, you know, but one-on-one. It's very important for us to know that God wants to use you. He doesn't want you to be overwhelmed with the thought of that I need to go out on a corner or go do this. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing our faith. He wants to use you in your daily living as you're on your way to temple or as you're on your way to work, as you're on your way wherever you're going, wherever you're about, that God and you're looking for those opportunities. We know that... The Lord also has places and times where he calls us to particular opportunities to be a witness for Christ, but quite often we're not always ready. We're not ready to speak, and we're not ready to move out into that situation when the Lord calls us. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8.
I love this story. This may be one of my favorites out of the book of Acts. When it comes to evangelism, it comes to witnessing, there's a lot of insight that we can get from this. This is Philip the evangelist. Did you know that Philip in the New Testament or actually in the Bible, that he's the only one that is referred to as an evangelist? He's called Philip the evangelist. Now, as a matter of fact, in Scripture, you see the word evangelist very few times. We know that there's the gift of an evangelist that you could read about in the book of Ephesians. We also know that the Apostle Paul told, uh, his, uh, told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say, Timothy, you are an evangelist or you have that particular gift, Timothy, but do the work of an evangelist. Now, I believe that we're all called as believers. You might say, I don't have the gift of an evangelist. I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not a Greg Laurie. I'm not somebody that goes out and preaches in that fashion. Sometimes we think that that is the person that has the gift, and I would say they do. But I do believe that there are many within the church that God has given this gift, the gift of an evangelist. What is that gift? Well, I believe it's somebody that can communicate effectively in a a very effective way the gospel. Now, does that mean that if I can't communicate very effectively that I'm not called to evangelize? No. And the reason why I know that is because we're, we read in, uh, the, or, excuse me, on the, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that we're all called to go out into this world and to preach the gospel and make disciples. The call upon the church and upon Christians is not to go out and just to evangelize, but to go out and make disciples. First, people need to be saved. When they get saved, they need to be discipled. They need to be discipled the same way that maybe you were discipled. You say, well, I never was really discipled very well. Well, you need to disciple others so that they know how to walk. How, they, how, how to do what you've learned to do. You communicate those things. That's what making a disciple is. Here's to me what the best way to understand discipleship. If you led a person to Jesus Christ and you had an opportunity to sit down with them and tell them what the next step was, you might tell them, you know what, you need to start reading your Bible. You need to start knowing, knowing that you can pray and God hears your prayers. You, you might say, find a fellowship, get involved in a church. You need to grow. But as you're discipling them and telling them the steps that they need to do to grow, you'd say, spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer. But you know what? Ultimately, what you'd want to see in that person in discipleship is that they are going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. To me, that is the ultimate form of discipleship is that when you lead somebody to Christ, you disciple them to the point where you actually teach them and show them how to witness and to tell people about Christ. And then they come to you one day and said, I led my first person to the Lord. Then you know that you've taken discipleship to its end because that's what the Lord did with his disciples. He ministered to them and with them for three years and then he sent them out into the world. In Acts chapter 8, we see another story here of Philip the Evangelist. We see him out on this road and this angel. Look at your Bibles at verse 26. It says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, when I read my Bible, 
and I see words like this, I, I, start, I start asking questions. I, I say, well, what is this angel of the Lord? And this angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. In other words, did Philip actually hear some audible voice coming from this angel? Did it, did, was it just something he sensed in his spirit? Did he hear something audible? What, you know, what was Philip actually hearing? But look at the story here. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, when I read those words, it sounds very specific. It sounds like this angel of the Lord is giving... Philip some very specific instructions on where to go. He says, I want you to go on to this desert road. And quite often when we hear those kinds of words, maybe the Lord speaking to us, it doesn't always make sense. Notice that the angel of the Lord didn't say anything to Philip other than arise and go towards the south along the road that goes down to Gaza. That's it. And then what do we see happen there with Philip in verse 27? What's it say? So he arose and he went. Do you see that? It was almost that simple. The angel Lord tells him to go and he goes. The the Lord tells you to open your mouth for him and you speak. The Lord tells you to go here and you go. it's It's an issue of obedience. You see, in being a witness for Christ... It requires on our part to be obedient to the Lord. The command's already been given. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Same command that really is being given here. Go and share your faith. Go make disciples. That command has been given to the church. So we see here Philip that he arose in obedience and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, eunuch, of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, there for the feast. He was actually returning home and going back. He was returning in verse 28, and he was sitting in his chariot. Sitting in this chariot, probably on top of a camel, and he's just trucking along this desert road. Get that picture in your mind. This is a man of authority. Going back now to his home, sitting in this chariot, just cruising along in the desert out there. And here's Philip being told to go on to this desert road, but doesn't know what to expect until he gets there. And so then it says in verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, here it is again, Go near and overtake the chariot. Very specific, isn't it? He says, go near and overtake the chariot. Have you ever been in a situation? Maybe you're, you know, I'll just give an example. You're, you're, you're standing there pumping gas at the gas station. Somebody's on the other side of the pump, and the Lord was just prompting your heart to say something to them. It might be any situation, any scenario but you sense in your spirit that the Lord is prompting you to say something. Do you know that on our part it requires obedience? 
What, what will we do with those things when the Lord speaks to our heart? Will we respond in obedience or will we just kind of shrink back? Well, no, that's not me. I'm not much of a... You know, no, just that you would open your mouth. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Now, what do we see about Philip here in verse 30? I love this. I love this verse 30. So Philip, what? He ran to him. Doesn't that show you a little bit of zeal? A zeal for the gospel, zeal for the things of God. You know, quite often as Christians, I think sometimes people look at us and go, I don't want to be what you are. You don't even seem like you're too joyful. I mean, I don't see anything that draws me to, you know, because quite often Christians are just, you know, is there any zeal in us? Is there any excitement that's in us for the things of God? Is it exuding out of us when we're around people? And are they seeing something in us? The Spirit just told him to to go, and, and Philip went. It was that simple, and then he takes off into a run. Why? Because Philip knew that God had something for him. There was no question in his mind. He called me out to this desert. Now I'm looking off in a distance, and I see the, 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 the dust flying up behind this chariot. And now the Spirit's telling me to go and join myself to it. And Philip takes off into a run. Doesn't say that he just kind of made his way. Well, I wonder what this. Well, I don't, I'm pretty nervous about. No, he takes off into a run. God has something for me. And when Philip arrives, it says that he hears the eunuch sitting up in that chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said to the eunuch, "Do you understand what you're reading?" You know when I read those words right there, you know what I call that? That's a one-liner. A Holy Spirit one-liner. Has God ever given you a one-liner? Something that you said to an individual that caused the wheels to start turning in their head to start thinking about something of God. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the wheels were turning. What do you mean, be born again? Am I going to enter my mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus knew that there was going to be a little bit of confusion. See, those Holy Spirit one-liners are the words that the Lord can give you in the moment that you need them to strike a conversation. Somebody asks you about some of the issues going on in our world today. And they, they, they pose a question to you. They know you're a Christian. They want to know what your response is. And, and, and then the Lord just gives you this word to say. And then all of a sudden you're into conversation with him about the Lord. That's how God works. And I believe that's how he's working here with Philip. Philip runs to him, asks him that question, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said to him in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Wouldn't you love an opportunity like that? You make that statement to somebody, and all of a sudden they're saying to you, I I know you're a Christian. Could you please tell me? Could you please tell me about the good news? Could you tell me about Jesus? I know you know something about him. You You would love to have that kind of an opportunity. Come up in the chariot and sit with him and explain to me what I'm reading. 
The place that the eunuch was reading was Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his, his generation for his life is taken from the earth? From those verses, Philip begins to preach Jesus to him. Let me ask you the question. If somebody was reading that passage of Scripture in your earshot, and you were to ask them, do you understand what you're reading there? Would you be able to sit down and actually share the gospel? Of Jesus, from, from, from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Begin to talk about the death of Jesus Christ. To be able to, to say those things, it required Peter to be ready. Or Philip, excuse me, to be ready. He was ready for this opportunity. The good Lord posed it to him. He asked that question. Do you understand what you're reading? Come up here and, and, and explain it to me. He gets up there and he begins to share with him from the scriptures the good news about Christ. And then the eunuch answered and said to Philip, I ask you, whom does the prophet say of this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture and he preached Jesus to him. He knew exactly what he wanted. You know what I, you know who else was like this? Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was this tunnel vision man. You know how he was tunnel vision? He was so tunnel vision that it didn't matter what kind of topic, scripture that somebody tried to take him off on, he would always come back to this the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that a person needed to hear those, the truths of the gospel to be saved, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knew that it was essential. For a person, there was power within that gospel. Paul knew it. He always came back to it. He says, I'm determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because the power that lies within those, those words, within that message, it can change a person's life. Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture and he preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here's water what hinders me from being baptized this eunuch had seen other people get baptized he'd been to jerusalem he saw that he knew that this was what somebody that placed their faith in christ did they got water baptized he's asking philip what keeps me from being water baptized right now and philip said in verse 37 he said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he believed. And Philip took him down into the water and he baptized him there. You see, this was a divine opportunity that God put before Philip. He was ready to respond. When the Lord called him, he ran and he went out and he seized the opportunity that God put before him. I think for all of us as believers, we have to ask the Lord, Lord, help me that when you put somebody before me, that I wouldn't shrink back, that I would seize those opportunities 
and that I would trust that you're going to give me the words to speak. Just test God. If, if I could exhort you this morning to do, to do something like, test God. See if God won't give you the words to speak. And you know what? You'll walk away from that situation going, God, you were faithful. You were so faithful. I, I had no clue what to say, but I just, I knew that you wanted me to say, and, I, and, I, and then all of a sudden you gave me the word, and pretty soon I was just sharing my faith. I believe that as Christians that as we take and pray and, you know, if you get up every morning and you say, Lord, I just want to be used of you today. Would you open up a door of opportunity for me? Do you think that God's going to go, I don't think so. I I, I don't want you to open your mouth for me today. I, I think that if you sincerely began to pray for an individual at work, a neighbor, a family member, and you were diligently praying for that person that you knew didn't know Christ, and then you were being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe that you would look and be looking for opportunity. And when it comes, you're going you're gonna to be right there. You're going you're gonna to open your mouth. You're going to speak. Because you've been praying for that individual. You've been looking for that opportunity. And now it's here. Now God says, now it's time. Now open your mouth. You've been praying a lot. Now it's time. The ladies that are in our women's study right now, I know you've already covered 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter wrote, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 10 last week, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Have you ever experienced that? God's Spirit speaking in you and through you, speaking to you and giving you the words to speak. Divine opportunities. I remember standing down in, in L.A., years ago down in an area I was doing some witnessing down there and it was pouring down rain and I was standing under the ledge of this building and I had a raincoat on and underneath my uh, I put my bible up underneath my coat and I was actually just holding it there like this and it was all zipped up to my neck and I was trying to stay out it was just you know right under the ledge of this river it was dumping rain And all of a sudden, this young man came walking over to me, and he stood next to me there. And as I was holding my jacket like this, what he thought was that I had a bottle under my jacket. He thought that I I had some alcohol under there, and, and, and so he just simply looked over at me, and he says, can I have a drink? And, you know, your heart starts doing one of these. You start thinking, oh, Lord, okay. And I unzip my jacket, and I instead of a bottle, I pull out my Bible. And I began to share with this young man, this young man actually happened to be a son of a pastor. He was himself alcoholic. And he was down there in Skid Row down in L.A., living on the streets. 
And God gave me an opportunity to to pray with this young man, to talk with this young man, to share and to remind him of what he'd already learned growing up. Divine opportunities that God puts before us. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I want to look at one more, one more story here. This could also be one of my, one of my favorites. But what, what I like about Acts chapter 16 is this is Paul and Silas being directed once again by the Holy Spirit to a particular place for one woman. For one family, her family, and for one woman. Would God do that with you? Would he allow you for just for one, one person that needs Jesus Christ, would he direct you to go somewhere, go do something about your day that he would put you right in step with somebody that's hungry for him? I believe he will. And if we have that evangelistic lifestyle in our minds, you're going to go about your day thinking, you know what, I'm actually, my steps are actually being directed by the Lord more than I even realize. And there's people out there that want to know, and Lord, would you direct me today in my, just going about my normal day, would you direct me and put me in a place where I might open my mouth for you? I believe that if you have that mindset, you'll be looking for it. And God will give you more opportunities than you ever realize. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, When they had gone, speaking about Paul and Silas, they had gone through Persia and into the region of Galatia. We're told that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. In other words, the Holy Spirit was literally directing them to right where he wanted them to go. That's why I believe that we can trust that God is directing your steps in a very precise way, more than you realize. It says, and they came to Mysia, and they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. God has his ways of directing our steps. And then it says, so passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And it was in that that evening that a vision appeared to Paul at night. So here's Paul in Troas. God gives Paul a vision at night. In this vision, he sees a man of Macedonia standing and pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Paul had never even been to Macedonia, and he has this call by God through this dream to go to Macedonia. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored, here it is, that obedience, as soon as he saw this vision, as soon as they could go, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach, what? The gospel to them. God has a reason for us, Silas, to go to Macedonia. I had a vision last night. He told us to go to Macedonia. Let's go. God has something for us. There's somebody that needs to hear the gospel. Therefore, sailing from trial. Look at the length that they'll go to. Look at the length that they're going to to come to this one woman. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So they arrive in the city, they're there for a number of days, and it comes on the Sabbath day that we went down to the city to the riverside. There was probably no uh, synagogue there in the city, but they found out there was people that go down to the river to pray, and they went down there to this riverside. And then we're told that when they came down there, uh, that we sat down and we spoke to a woman that they had met there. This woman's name was Lydia in verse 14. And she heard us and she, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And we're told that the Lord, and this is important to see, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. This is something else that I believe is important. When you go about, if you're living your day expecting that God wants to lead you to people that you can be a witness to, God has hearts that are prepared. The ones that he's been working on for a while. And if you have the privilege and the opportunity to be led of the Lord to that particular occasion then God's going to give you what you need to speak. He gave Paul exactly the right words to speak. Here's this woman whom the Lord had opened her heart, and we're told that she heeded the things spoken by Paul. Why? Because God had already been working on her. God had already been speaking to her heart. She was already prepared in heart. She just needed to hear that good news from Paul. And then we read... And when she and her household were baptized. Now we know that she got saved because he wouldn't have been baptizing. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Here's Paul. Here's Silas through a vision being called out to this city, going down and taking a walk a few days later down on the Sabbath to the riverside. And here's this woman whom the Lord had opened her heart. If if your God is not precise and divine, this is what I read here. I read, you know, God is directing all this. God is directing the steps of Paul. He's even directing Lydia to be in the right place at the right time to hear this good news and she accepts Christ and goes home and tells her whole household and they get saved. And God did that for this one woman and for her household. Just think of your salvation, the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Who did God use in your life? Or what individuals did he use in your particular testimony? of how you came to Christ, the people he put in your path that were unashamed of their faith, and they opened their mouth and they said something to you, whether it was a best friend or a family member or a co-worker or somebody that invited you to come to church and you heard the gospel and you got saved. God wants to use his church, each of us. I, as I've already shared, to me, the best form of evangelism is lifestyle evangelism. The going about your daily routine of what you do. But in going about your daily routine, you're very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're sensitive to the fact that He wants to use you day in and day out. There is not one of us here 
that He does not want to use. He wants to use your life as a testimony of Him. Even in all your failures and all of your shortcomings, God will never tell you, you know what, right now, you know, you're, you've got too many things. You know, the only thing that sin does and compromise does in our life is it keeps us from sharing the gospel because we're only trying to get, get through life ourselves. There's only enough of Jesus in my life to get me through life, let alone to go tell somebody else about Christ. But if you get overwhelmed with your love relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's overwhelming you, then when you're out and about and you're around people, you're not gonna, you're, no one's going to be able to shut you up. You're going to want to tell people. I can't help but tell people. Because you know what? God's doing great things in me. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we want to just thank you for how great you are. We want to thank you for the the salvation that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us this morning with a sense of who you are, our relationship that we have with you. Lord, that you would cleanse us, Lord, from compromise or from things that would hold us back, from being those lights and being that salt to this dying world. Lord, that you would cleanse us even now. Lord, that you would uh, just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, empower us. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, in a a way that when we leave this place today, Lord, we'll even leave here looking, looking for opportunities. Go before us this week, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take on that mindset that we would be witnesses for you, that we would redeem the days that we're living in. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.